0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW group void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Previously on Truth and Justice. Kenneth Gove was so determined to try to find his wife's killer that he even employed the services of a psychic. The following is from Royce's report on April 15th of 1992. Quote, received a letter and cassette tape from complainant's husband, Mr. Ken Gove. He sent a tape recording of a session he had with psychic John Ketchings. The tape was not of high quality. Because of this reason, I took the tape to the document section to be transposed.
0: For an investigator, nothing is more frustrating than a case which is never solved. In recent years, some law enforcement agencies have enlisted the help of psychics when all conventional techniques have failed such was a case when oregon authorities contacted john
1: ketchings a well-known psychic who's assisted in dozens of criminal investigations there was approximately eight things that i could tell you that mr ketchings advised me which i might add that he puts on tape he gives you a copy of a, of a uh, tape for you to listen to and to also verify his story he told me that he would be in a shallow creek bed he told me he'd be covered with debris but the main thing to this whole case involving the psychic term was the fact that he told me that they would be a shoe on top of his grave. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good people from around the world who want to make a difference. And the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed. The only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. Right off the bat, I want to make clear to everyone that the plan for today's episode is no longer the plan. As you guys all heard at the end of last week's episode, we teased an interview with the Ku Klux Klan. As you all heard from that voicemail that I got back from the Klansmen, they had agreed to do an interview with me. Well, since that time, they seem to have gotten cold feet. They didn't call for the interview when it was scheduled. And so when I got back into the office on Wednesday after being in New Orleans for the week, I made another call to them And I'm about to play for you how their voicemail reads, but I want to give you a trigger warning here. There is some disgusting, disturbing, just nasty language in this voicemail greeting. I want to play it for you so I can help explain where we're at right now. But if you are easily upset by the use of some very racist, disgusting words, you may want to skip forward about a minute. But this is the voicemail greeting that played when I called the KKK back to reschedule the interview. Greetings you reached the loyal white knights of the KKK, the most largest active clan in America. Our rally on July eighth in Charlottesville, Virginia, was a great success. Our Klansmen and clans ladies stood defiant against the Black Lives Matters movement and the Black Panthers. The Klansmen were pleased to watch twenty-three blacks get locked up in tear gas for acting like nigger savages. For more info on joining the clan, Go to our website at kkkknights.com. That's kkkknights.com. I'll leave name, and number, of ferry code, and we'll get back to you. Always remember, if it ain't white, it ain't right. White power. Again, I apologize for that language. We made a decision not to censor the language in that voicemail greeting because that is real. That is who these people are. And that is why we're not going to be doing an interview. Despite the fact that they appear to have changed their mind anyway, I was just so disgusted after hearing that voicemail greeting, that is not the greeting that was on there a couple of weeks ago when I called them, that I just have no desire to give these people a platform in any way, shape, or form. And the only reason I was calling them was simply to discuss some of the KKK's policies, so to speak, regarding people of mixed race. We couldn't find any information online, and we wanted to get it right from the horse's mouth, so to speak. But at this point, I've made the decision that I really don't care what they have to say, and it's not that important of an issue as far as the investigation goes, enough to give them a platform to speak. So we will not be hearing from the KKK on this show ever again. Given that Mike and I had made the decision to nix the KKK interview, we have been working on scheduling a couple of other interviews this week Early Thursday afternoon, we finally received our open records request from Dallas PD. I remember that I filed this open records request back in February of this year, and it was months before I got any response back from them. Well, I got a big package of about 500 pages of documents yesterday afternoon. And as we started to quickly shuffle through these documents, we found one that definitely caught our attention. You remember way back in episode 302, We heard that Ken Gove, in April of 1992, actually hired a psychic named John Catchings to help find his wife's killer. We mentioned back then that in the police report, it said that the interview was taped and transposed. But we had no copy of that transcript. Until now. After just getting a few pages in, it was obvious that you all need to hear what Ken Gove had to say with John Catchings, the psychic. Now, first of all, a little bit about John Catchings. He's not just a psychic, he's actually a world-renowned psychic. He has helped many, many families search for their loved ones and has participated in a lot of police investigations. He's made appearances on CBS Secrets of the Unknown, Geraldo, That's Incredible, NBC's Today, and other programs, including what you heard at the outset of the show, Unsolved Mysteries. Now, the good news is that we do have a copy of the transcript of the conversation between Ken Gove and John Catchings. The bad news is we don't have a copy of the actual tape. And furthermore, we do not have the ability to speak with John Catchings. Through our research yesterday, we discovered that John Catching actually passed away just five months after doing this interview with Ken Gove. Catchings passed away at 45 years old due to complications from diabetes and a heart attack that he suffered after a surgery. But as we read through the transcripts, we find that, number one, this is the best look that we've had to date into the man who was Kenneth Gove. We hear from him in his own words. We also find that there's a lot more to this story than lives in the police reports. Many new things are revealed, and that's why instead of trying to break down and summarize this 26-page transcript, Mike and I are going to read to you the transcript in character. Myself is Kenneth Gove, and Mike is John Catchings. We decided that this would be the best way for all of you to immerse yourself in this conversation. And before we begin, there's a couple of things that we need to explain. Number one, there are several places throughout the interview where the transcript just reads inaudible. Rather than us saying inaudible, when we come to one of those parts, Mike or myself, depending on whose line it is, we'll basically just mumble through it. And that's simply in an attempt to try to stay, quote, in character for you. So if you hear us mumbling through something, that means that the transcript read inaudible. And also, we will not be interrupting the transcripts to commentate or break down or explain anything that we're reading. If there's anything significant, there'll be a brief music break to let it sink in for a minute. But we won't be addressing any of those issues until the closing remarks of this episode. Now, there's a lot here, so we may only get through half of the transcript today and may finish it up next week. So without further ado, Mike and I are going to begin our conversation as Kenneth Gove and Psychic John Catchings. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. It was the fourth of July. She was killed on the twenty fifth of July. That would have been what eight months ago she was killed. Uh huh.
0: Okay. Well, Ken, I'd like to go over your case. So tell me the story. So tell me the story
1: of what happened, as far as we know. Okay. On the twenty fifth of July, uh, she normally took a morning walk. We had uh, in front of our house. But she saw Grady Spruce High School, the track, is one mile around. So that's the reason the people walk around that place, because they know how, how far they're walking. Got a, and it's a pleasant walk. Uh, she apparently, going back, picking the time between 6.26, 25, she started walking. And I'm saying that because a custodian at the school saw her going by three times. Uh, how fast she would walk, about 12 minutes around, uh, he wondered... What day of the week the was time. this? Uh, this was a Thursday. Okay. Uh, of course he didn't see her the fourth time, because she didn't make it. Now I'm trying to think how to do this, because I guess there's witnesses that came, if you want me to kind of put it in sequence, the best that I can just tell. Tell it like you're telling it to a friend. There's not a right or wrong way to do this. Just whatever's comfortable to you. Okay, she was found by a neighbor. The house was backed up against the street that she was on. Somewhere after 7 in the morning, uh, he has his dog out. The dog made all kinds of noise. It was backed up next to the street. Uh, he didn't know what was going on. He got out, hollered at the dog. The dog was jumping on the fence. He looked across, saw someone laying on the ground. He, put, uh, he didn't pull off and get an ambulance at the time because uh, six weeks before that, some drunk fell asleep over there, and he didn't want to... Uh, Feel sure. Yes, yeah, sure. He jumped over the fence, went over there. Okay, he saw a woman, which was my wife, laying on her back. She was in uh, a jogging outfit with her knees pulled up like that, and in her right hand, she held a large kitchen knife. Clean, no blood on it. He tried to talk to her. He says she acted like she wanted to say something, but she couldn't. He didn't think she was. Uh, could see that she had three stab wounds right down here in her throat. Uh, He said she seemed conscious because her eyes followed him as he walked around her. He said the eyes followed him, but she couldn't say anything. Anything. He told her he was going to call the police and he would be right back. When he got back with a blanket, uh, after the call, the ambulance, uh, she had passed out. She was out of it unconscious completely. They came, put uh, IVs in her, that pump full of things, and all this other, I think, what you do is start a heart and all that stuff. Took her to the hospital, which is quite nearby the uh, hospital, and the, uh, I guess it was about a half hour until she officially died. Um, she has five wounds in front, and some of them up to an inch and a quarter, inch and a half wide, five wounds in the back, and five in her... Uh, uh, Were there any wounds on her hands? Yes, there was wounds on her, let me think, uh, be sure. I think it was her right hand. I think there was one cut on the right hand, one cut somewhere on her head, like on her hand. It looks like she tried to grab the blade, I think. So, uh, wounds? Uh, they claim, talk to the woman, uh, well, basically there's nothing they could do, uh, As fast as they tried to put the IVs in, it came out somewhere else and so forth. It was basically lost, all her blood and so forth. Uh, I talked to the the woman, uh, the medical examiner, uh, later that afternoon down there. Uh, Dallas and I said, what's the official cause of death? She said, I don't understand what you mean. I said, well, now what? She says, well, there were so many massive wounds to vital organs and so much loss of blood... She said, that's all I could put down. It was, it was too much damage done to be able to narrow it down. Okay. Uh, I didn't find out the, the knife being in her hand until I got a hold of this, tell about this, what you call it, uh, report. The police said, yes. I said, what kind of a knife? We can't tell you that. Uh, they asked me when they found me at work, took me down to the police station the day it happened, and questioned me, thinking I might have had something to do with it. Asking if she ever took a weapon with her or a knife or a gun. I said, not that I know of. I got this and says to myself, I says, hey, that is the type of wound that one of her knives, uh, like a kitchen knife, sharp on the end, you know. They use them for carving or some damn thing. Uh, one of them was missing. I think she was carrying it with her. Something in her clothes as protection, but she never told me that. And the reason I'm saying this now is that not just from uh, what I got out of this. Two weeks before that, when she went fishing, she used to go fishing and take one of these knives to chop the bushes with, and she didn't have it in the kitchen no more. I said, what happened to it? Oh, okay. She had it over in the room where she normally changed her clothes. She was, I didn't think about things that day. I didn't register on me. Uh Uh-huh. She said, I'm using it for something else. I just, you know, I don't know. She was chopping something. Well, she had found the, had gotten nervous. How long a knife blade is this, approximately? It's, you're talking uh, probably eight or nine inches, one of these blades. And how wide is the blade on that? It would go from nothing to probably an inch and a quarter or inch and a half. Like with the, uh, I, I measured one at home. It was about the same thing, and it looked like that. Okay, then I said to myself, because uh, I, I can't understand anybody using using a knife to kill somebody. We surmise, and still leaving it
0: to see. We surmise from what we were able to determine here about reading from the lines, and it's probably the knife that she had was probably then the murder weapon. I'm sorry?
1: We surmise then that probably the knife... Yes, I'm, I'm sure it was. ...was probably the murder weapon. I, I I don't know without looking at it, but I'm sure it was, yes, because it... if. I don't know anything about killing anybody, but if I were to use the weapon I used to kill somebody, I'd leave it there, because it might come back to me somehow. But by the same token, if I use somebody else's knife, hell yeah, I'd leave the damn thing there. I think it was was a very sick mind involved, okay? Nothing was heard for four months. I put out a reward, $10,000. That's about the first six weeks. But the police basically gave up after the first three weeks, said, you know, you either solve these things quick or you... Or maybe somebody informed them or something. Yeah, and I said it would help to put out a reward. It might. They said, I'm not telling you to do or not to. I said, okay, I won't put it out. Okay, four months after it happened, just before Thanksgiving one night at nine o'clock, a woman, next door neighbor to me, brought a woman to me saying, this woman saw the people who killed your wife. Y'all come on in. She lives... This woman lives about three streets north of me. She's divorced and has a uh, teenage 18-year-old son that's into drugs and everything. Keeps running away from home. She's always going looking for him and so forth. She was out that night, which was typical for her. She said she was out and had a 12-year-old nephew with her. This woman is Caucasian, uh, middle 40s, I would say. Funny, you know, uh, she said they had been out since 12 o'clock that night looking for her son. And the area over where my wife was killed is apparently kind of... It's not a blanked-off area. It's kind of not well-traveled at night. Police don't bother to check it, so that's where people go. Uh Uh-huh. For whatever they're going to do. You know, mess around, drink, take dope, or whatever. She said they saw this white car three times parked on different sides of the street as they were going around. Just about 7 o'clock, they came around one more time, looking to see if the kid had shown up. This is a quarter of a mile from where I live, And they saw there was nobody in the car, and they turned the corner, went down this way, and they see four more men, three black guys and one white guy, dragging something. When she got up nearer, they saw they were dragging a woman. They had her like this. Each one had one of her wrists. They had a gag across her face, so she couldn't holler. And the other two behind her were trying to pick up her feet, but she was strong. And uh, even though she was only 105 pounds, uh, she was kicking too hard, and they gave up on it. So they just kept dragging her. When the woman went by, her window was up and so forth. She didn't say to slow down, but my wife sensed the car was there and made enough noise either uh, or something that she couldn't hear. She kept on going down. She didn't... I think one of the reasons she may have waiting so long to come to me is that she thought I was going to blame her for not doing something about... You know, I I can't do that. I would... You know, at least she came uh, sometime... She didn't think of blowing her horn or anything before she got down to the corner. She saw where they dragged her through one of these gates in a four-foot fence, chain-link fence on grass. About the same time she turned the corner, she came back around, and it's clear enough that you could look through the trees and see if the car was coming back around. It's a quarter of a mile each way. Started to come back around, and before she got back to the corner, the four men were running, jumped in their car, and took off. Now, they never happened to see, at least as far as they know, the number, number plate because it didn't mean anything to them until after they say what would happening. see. see. Uh, when you told the police about this woman, what did they say about it? Well, they talked to her. They believe her. That's what they've got down on that uh, thing there. Expect they have put something down in there that doesn't make sense and maybe it's tried and get someone else to come forward. I don't know. For instance, they say these three men and a woman, three blacks and a white, were trying to force her into a car and drove off with her. That's a bunch of bull. She never would. She was never taken anywhere near the car. I mean, you don't force someone into the car, drive back and then drive back the same location, and then walk. No, uh, why were they saying this? If they're hoping other people will come, I don't know. When the body was found by the guy that jumped over the fence. Yes, yes. And she's laying there on her back.
0: Yes. Uh, was there a large amount of blood there? Was she killed there in that spot,
1: or was there another location? They can be able to tell by the amount of blood. Apparently there was blood underneath her. He couldn't see blood at the time. What he, I don't know if he stuck around. I do know that... When the police came in and did their forensic investigation at the crime scene, did they find blood at another location besides there? As far as I know, no. See, nobody's telling me anything like that. All I do know is that some of the neighbors had came to it the same day and said that they did see a big, a big thing of blood where her body was. That's all I know.
0: All right. Uh, when the knife was, as far as we know, the knife was in her hand and it didn't have blood on it.
1: No, somebody had wiped it off. What I'm wondering is the, uh, the police were saying if you're just going to kill somebody, you're going to kill. Uh, I figured that with them dragging her along there on the grass, they messed with her before they killed her. But then they felt, you know, the other woman driving by and decided they were just going to kill her. I don't know. That's where I'm speculating. Now, they had, this was 7 o'clock in the morning in July. It was white daylight out. They obviously weren't, they weren't, uh, I guess, they, they worried about anybody bothering them until that woman came by. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's in July, so so maybe there was summer school. This was, yeah, this was, they had summer school. Uh, this year, summer school was in session at the time. In fact, uh, I talked with the principal of the school, and he, the uh, ambulance people, the fire department, because he didn't know anything about it until afterwards. It wasn't on school property where she was found, where she was killed. Okay. How long have you all been married? Five months short of 20 years. Okay. So you're pretty much familiar with all her activities.
0: Uh, besides being married to you, what does she do? Does she have a business or anything else?
1: Uh, she worked a full-time at the school uh, as a pastry cook, uh, and at one time she had two jobs going at one time. She also got her cosmetologist license, so from Texas, and she worked for uh, a boric hair studio two or three years until I talked her out of doing that. I said she was working too hard, so I stopped her from doing that. Here in the last six months or so before her
0: death, she was doing what?
1: Just up at the school.
0: Now, is this the same
1: school? uh, Yes, right across the street. She's been there 13 years, I would guess.
0: Okay. Are there any children involved here?
1: We have a son, Jeff. He's nineteen.
0: Okay, where was he at the time?
1: He was sacked out. He liked to sleep in.
0: Yeah, so does mine. So he was at home, and she. This occurred about seven o'clock.
1: As close as we, uh, yeah, that's when the woman told, backed out. It was at seven, and I think that officially found her. It was sometime between when the man called in, sometime between seven and seven fifteen, when the neighbor saw and called in. Okay, I think I'm not sure, but it's got down here what time they were called. Um, where were you and when did you leave? Okay, I would have left probably between six ten, six fifteen, and I was uh, I was at work, which is seven miles away. So you, uh.
0: uh So when you left, she hadn't gone jogging yet when you left? No,
1: she would have gone afterwards. So we're assuming that she went jogging, and that's part of her normal routine. Yes, and of course the guy saw her walking around. The custodian saw her. See, they used to see her because she walked all the time. All right, would she have been working at school that day? No, uh uh-uh. She didn't work in the summer? No, She. they don't have any lunchtime. They don't have any lunches in the summertime. I thought this was before this witness came forward, and I still think the same thing. I think she was grabbed by kids that she had known from school. You know, you go through a bunch of kids in 12 years, and uh, they felt that she might have recognized them, and then if he wasn't planning on killing her before, then he would have then. I don't know.
0: Well, first thing I think is that there's another location here, that she was stabbed in another spot other than the spot where she was found. There would have been blood where she was found, all right, but there would be another location somewhere not too far here that also had blood on it. Well... The second thing, I think, is that whoever killed her didn't plan to, just sort of spontaneous thing, that it was a crime of, uh, you know, the moment. It wasn't something that was thought or planned or premeditated. Because the murder weapon was her knife.
1: uh Uh-huh. They didn't come prepared to kill anybody. They used their resource. Uh, Uh Uh-huh. Well, I'm wondering, wouldn't they have... In other words, when she was laid down, they're not even going to know she had a knife until they laid her down in the grass, and she might have had time to grab it. At that time, uh, they took it and stabbed her just, uh... Was there stab wounds in her back, too? Well, see, they she was rolled over on her back. At first, I said, well, no one man is going to be able to hold her down and stab her, uh... Uh, well, there were four of them, so there was no problem about having people to hold her down. It was a very definite pattern to the neck.: Then that indicates a
0: desire on somebody's part to inflict pain and suffering.: That's right. It's not the best way to kill somebody. Uh-uh. The best way to hurt somebody, but not necessarily the best way to kill them, that's more a crime of pass- That's more a crime of passion than it is uh, a crime of violence. When you have a rapist or somebody of that sort, is more likely to want to stab her in the heart or cut her throat or something of that sort. Uh, uh, the stab wounds in her throat could well be to stop her from talking, uh, okay? But the wounds in her back uh, now uh, were inflicted first.
1: There was a woman that called in, the, the police, uh, saying she heard one scream that morning from that location. Apparently, she had time to let out one scream before they gagged her. Now, when she was found, there was no gag involved? No, but see they hadn't the woman driving by in the car saw the gag. Yeah, but we have nothing to substantiate that the woman came by 3
0: months 3 months later to confirm something after there's a reward offered. Uh so it may be or may not be accurate information. Uh well, has this woman ever
1: been asked to take a polygraph about this? Not that I know of. Uh I know the police talked with both her and the kid. They claimed the kid had better information than she did. Uh, and they felt that was the reason that they put this thing. Uh, now, I don't know anything about questioning people. You do, of course. I don't. The police thought or they felt it was good information. The kid supposedly. Dallas PD is handling this case? Dallas, yes. Uh-huh. Well, that's
0: not too good because they, they and I don't get along too well. Uh, some of the individual officers I do, but by and large, officially, Dallas PD and I don't
1: get along too well. Well, that's what, it started off a guy working with me, said I got no problem whatsoever, and the check with my boss, and his boss said that's okay, no problem. Only thing we got to be a little bit careful about, passing on information where uh, a member of the family clear it first before we can give it to the psychic. I said no sweat, then I called back and asked them to get in touch. All of a sudden, the Dallas police policy is we never have anything to do with a psychic. Uh Uh-huh. It's back and forth.
0: Yeah, that's just the kind of way there are. But, uh, this woman, she has a son who's 18, you say? Yes. Now, what's his name? I don't know. Does he have a criminal history? All I know is... He's involved in drugs and
1: things like... He's been involved in drugs like that, yes. Would he have been someone, perhaps, that your wife would recognize? No, I don't think so. Not unless... Unless for some reason they happen to go through high school or whatever, of course... She's seen thousands of kids at that high school.
0: Well, the first thing I want to do would be to see if we can get this lady and this boy that came forward as witnesses to see if they would take a polygraph about this, to see how reliable their information is, to see if that passes. If it does, in fact, come back as reliable information, and I think it probably will, the next person I would like to interview and talk to is her 18-year-old son she was looking for at the time, and see if he knows anything about this, because I think probably he will. I think that these people that witnessed this crime are not telling us everything that they know about it. Telling us pieces of it, but not everything they know.
1: And that's as far as we're going to go with the interview this week. We're just a little under halfway through, and we'll finish it in next week's episode. But already, with Ken Gove's conversation with the psychic John Catchings, we find out a few significant details. The first significant detail is the fact that Aunt Mama Judy did not go straight to the police department. She, in fact, first went directly to Kenneth Gove. And this is something that hasn't appeared in any of the police reports that we've seen to date. Although, as we'll get into as the weeks go on, there's a lot more to the police file than what the prosecution offered to the defense. As a couple of other points of interest... You also notice that Kenneth doesn't believe whatsoever that Keow was dragged into a car. From his recollection, from what Judy told him, the men came from a car and ran back to a car, but Keow was never in the car. And then we also notice that Kenneth thinks that he has information about the crime that he in fact doesn't quite have right. For example, you notice that he mentioned that she was stabbed in the neck and the throat. And as we know, Keow was not stabbed in the neck or the throat. And he also mentioned that Stanberry called the police between 7 and 7.15. And in fact, Stanberry called the police at about 7.40. But there's a lot of interesting information here. And we're just getting into at this point where John Catchings is starting to give his psychic opinion of who the best suspect might be. And that's where we'll pick up next week on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is a production of New Beginning Incorporated. Michael Bussing is our executive producer, and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixes and masters the episodes. I want to thank Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. Thank you to our transcriptionist, Desiree Dunn, Sarah Hoyt, and Sarah Mueller. And thank you to Chris Brinkley of Sylvia Consultants.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Keep sending in your thoughts, theories, and ideas to theories at truthandjusticepod.com. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider, send that to cases at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. And don't forget that you can always leave us a voicemail at 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged stay in touch but as for now i'm signing off i'm bob ruff and this has been truth and justice